And he just like looked at me and was like, that's not going to happen. You're not going to be good at sales. Why do you think that? I haven't even tried. And it was very simply like, but you're a chick. What? Welcome to the Reach Further podcast, where we share insights from experts who have experienced it all. We hope these conversations will spark ideas for you to become the successful entrepreneur that you are meant to be. Brought to you by East West Bank, your financial bridge. Hey everybody, I'm Mindy. And I'm Angela. Welcome to the Reach Further Podcast, episode number one. Our first episode ever. I know, we are so excited. And a little (laughs) nervous, not gonna lie. But mostly we're excited. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And we are most excited for the launch of this podcast because this is the month of March, which is Women's History Month. Mm-hmm. And this podcast is launching on March 8th, which is International Women's, Women's Day. Day. Oh my gosh, that's so perfect because mm-hmm. our first guest, she is a powerful female leader executive and she has 10 years of experience in new media advertising and technology industry and not only that she's been uplifting women throughout her entire career breaking barriers shattering that glass ceiling yes yes so that's why we are so excited to have her on our first inaugural episode But before we start, we would just like to remind you to subscribe to the Reach Further podcast. You can find out more information at eastwestbank.com slash reachfurtherpodcast. So without further ado, we would like to introduce to you Maytal Schoenberg, Senior Vice President of New Media Lending at East West Bank. Thank you so much for joining us, Maytal. So you're a woman executive who is absolutely kicking butt in her industry, but obviously you didn't start there. You had to work your way up. Can you tell us about how when you first started on your career path and uh, the challenges that you faced as a woman in such a male-dominated industry? Look, in the digital media and technology space, as well as finance, to be honest with you, but especially in that space, I came across a bunch of men in a room all the time. The laughing joke growing up gaining momentum in my career was I was only female at a table with 12 other dudes. And I remember very distinctly, I think it was my second or third job out of college, I had an inkling that I'd be really good at sales. Um, And so I asked my manager if I could try. Don't pay me extra if I close something great. If I don't, you know, sort of your back, I'll do it after work on my downtime. And he just like looked at me and was like, that's not going to happen. You're not going to be good at sales. Why do you think that? I haven't even tried. Um, And it was very simply like, but you're a chick. And he said it so nonchalantly. (laughs) That was such a normal thing to say. And, you know, this is before me too, before any sort of let's empower women to do whatever they need to do in order to encourage them to grow in their career. I was like, okay, I, I hear you. And I went home that night and this is ridiculous. I don't want to work in an environment that promotes this kind of behavior. And so I I quit the next day, um, not having anything lined up. I was very quickly able to get another job and I actually started selling at my next job. Uh, Very low level, but climbed up very quickly. And the moment I was able to get a managerial position, and this was sort of two jobs later, the first thing I implemented was, okay, how do I create a peer group around younger females trying to do anything? It started at these monthly luncheons. I would just mentor people who are four or five, six years beneath me, just coming out of college or figuring out their resume. And what I found was 
you know, there's this notion and it really, it's true. Females are generally very scared to demand anything. And so we kind of take for granted how men just have so much more, not necessarily confidence, they just have a much more expectant mentality. You know, we went through a bunch of different exercises, like how do you negotiate your salary? How how do you talk about your resume in a way which it makes sense? How are you, how are you unapologetic about anything and everything you do? As I grew in my career, I've been able to help guide the younger generation to figure out how do you demand more money? The laughing joke in my immediate family is I have three brothers and one sister. And my little sister is nine years younger than me. She reminds me on a daily basis that she's making more money than me. <laughs> what? And when I was her age, um, you know, and she attributes that to me and watching me and, and helping her. But there's nothing that makes me happier in life than having a female sort of take charge, own what she has to offer, and do it unapologetically. So from the get-go, you always had confidence. Where do you draw your confidence from? 90% of show. Like, it's literally, I, I still go to networking events, dreading them. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks, oh, Mital, she's a social butterfly. She loves it, that she fiends off that energy. And in a sense, it's true. Like, everyone gets in their own head. That's uh, that's like a thing. And so I used to have this rule that I tell everybody who's trying to be in sales and, and break through and network. I have two rules. When you're in person, you're allowed to leave after you've spoken to three people. And when you're on email or finally get introduced to somebody... You can't leave the meeting without one takeaway and three mm-hmm. introductions to somebody else. Typically what ends up happening in the first scenario is once you've spoken to the third person, you're having a great time, you're not leaving. It's just getting your feet wet is a, sort of the scary part. And the second part is sometimes you'll have a meeting and it's the complete dud. You've gained no knowledge, like the deal's going nowhere and nothing's happening. But if you could at least extract three different introductions from that same person, well, then it's sort of a domino effect. And so how are you always learning? How are you always growing? And and that's like, it's my rule of three, both in person and on email. Have you, having done that, have you ever faced any kind of resistance from men or whatever? As you said, in general, women fear asking for things. I think partly because it's stigmatized as being viewed as pushy or, you know, Oh, 100%. Totally. (laughs) Look, I've met resistance a ton. I had one job where I always felt like I was being underpaid. No matter what I was doing, I had a counterpart and he was making more than me. I would fight and demand and this and that. And it was always like this long drawn out process where both people felt really crappy. Then I would finally get what I wanted. But from the CEO and COO's perspective, they were doing me such a favor I asked for 35%. They gave me 10%. I should be really happy with the 10%. And then it came to a point where I was just like, this isn't working for me anymore. They say in negotiations, no one should be happy at the end of it. But I shouldn't be depressed, right? (laughs) They're unhappy. I feel really crappy and it's eating me up a couple days later. So then you kind of know something's not working. I think there's a normal amount of resistance that should be met. But what I tell people all the time is, If you're still thinking about it a week later and you're still unhappy, then have the confidence that you're going to find something else. Someone else will value that time, that effort, that energy that you're putting into the world. The millennials, I think, in general, don't understand their value. You get really complacent, really comfortable where you are, and you're scared for change. You're scared to ask for that raise. You're scared to ask for that promotion. And so you don't, as opposed to just reframing. So I'm a big framer. You don't have to say, hey, I worked really hard. I want more money. The, the question can simply be, well, how do you value X, Y, and Z that I did? How do you think about when you're 
thinking about a promotion or a salary increase or a bonus, be very specific with what you've accomplished or what you think you've accomplished. Put the onus on your manager or your husband or or your partner, whomever, right? Like this is everything. I watched the kids for four days while you were traveling and I got dinner on the table and I did all the laundry. How do you value that? And I'm a very big proponent of this book called The Five Languages of Love because I think everybody has a different language of love. At least your inner circle, who you manage, who you report to, you should work hard to understand what their language of love is because it might not be money for everybody. It might be words of appreciation. I have some folks on my team, they don't necessarily care. They're not driven by money. They're driven by, you did a great job. Recognition. I could, yeah, I couldn't have done it without you. Speaking of recognition, we would be remiss not to mention a couple of amazing things happening in your life as of late. And I'll just mention two. The first one being that you are being profiled um, as part of the 2022 visionaries issue of the Los Angeles Times magazine. So yay. And the second, and I think it's more important, is that you have a new member to your family. And you just recently came back from maternity leave. So the question is, with all the things that are happening around your life lately and with this whole COVID epidemic, new way of living and coming back to work and being a new mom, how do you balance everything? Uh, lots of wine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> deliver that now. There's no wine in that <laughs> mug, by the way. <laughs> Maybe water. Maybe water. Water. I just want to make sure everybody knows. <laughs> It, it's it has not it has not been easy. I think COVID has been a very interesting case study in how to manage your time most effectively. And I think I've done a really good job balancing. Although to be honest, it's a lot. I'm not going to say it's not a lot, right? It's a lot of prepping and planning, organizing, and those sort of aren't my strong suits in general. <laughs> That's been a struggle. Um, you are very honest. I am very honest. Just being honest yes, here. It's very, it's, 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 this uh, is an honest conversation, too, folks. Fault, you know. <laughs> I, I'm very, very, very honest at all times, probably to a fault, and I'm surprised it hasn't gotten me. <laughs> but here I am. I'm still here. You're here. You're here. Um, You're doing great. So yeah. So look, like I've 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 leaned on my team significantly. I've also been able to grow my team significantly since being here. So that's for sure been helping. But I love what I do, and I think that's that's my balancing act. Like I I think it would have been much harder if I wasn't excited to wake up and go to work every day. But I love. I just, I love doing deals. I love getting into new companies and understanding workflows and and all that fun stuff. It's exhausting. I'm super tired um, all the time, Mm -hmm. but I drink a ton of coffee and (laughs) And after five, I drink a ton of wine. (laughs) So you're talking about boundaries in your personal life. So how does that that translate into your work life? Because I feel like a lot of people, especially these days, don't know how to set up their work life Mm, boundaries. Correct. Right. Um, Especially when you have teams that are on the East Coast and West Coast, Mm -hmm. right? And so... I'm not very good at it. <laughs> There's no such thing as, you know, going on vacation and unplugged. Like, I don't I don't have that. Although I do, I am a Sabbath observer. So I'm Jewish and I'm Orthodox. And so from Friday night to Saturday night, 25 hours, no TV, no phones, no electricity, no nothing. And that's my meditative reset stage so that I could get back at it for the whole week. But in terms of boundaries at work, 
I wouldn't necessarily call them boundaries. I think I call them, I set expectations. I'm constantly talking to my team about this also because I think that there's an element of, I need to set expectations with my superiors, my peers, and they need to set expectations going up. And mm-hmm. whoever's listening, you need to set expectations with your clients. You need to set expectations with your spouses, with your managers, with your direct report, so that everyone knows what does ASAP mean to you. And when you send an email and you request something like, how long should that take? I had a friend who she took it sort of to the next level, which I thought was an interesting way to do it, but it might be useful for somebody who's listening. To her team, she would write in the subject line, this needs to be responded to in an hour. And that was the subject. And then the email was whatever her request was, or this can wait until next week project. And I thought that was like a really, yeah, it's a woman named Sasha Hoffman. She's really interesting. I like that. I thought it was a very interesting way to do it. And I was like, whoa, that's like very aggressive. It was all caps all the time. That was literally how she managed her email flow. (laughs) Uh She's like, yeah, but honestly, like I'm fully transparent with my team. Everyone knows when I'm going to get things done or when I'm expecting things. And she found it very useful. Hmm. And then people got into the cadence of the typical requests take X amount of time. And so I guess it just sets a standard. Mm -hmm. I haven't done that, but I do think it's an interesting idea. (laughs) Speaking of you being here at East West Bank, you've only been here a little bit over a year, I believe. Almost two. Almost two. Excuse me. Time flies when you're having fun. I know. I know. (laughs) Time flies. (laughs) And I heard that uh, only within a year, you've managed to lead your team to surpass your yearly goals like by a landslide can you tell us a little bit about how you've led your team to do that like what what is that secret formula i'm sure all the other leaders want to know (laughs) (laughs) there's in two ways the first is do good good will come to you i don't think credit first i think borrower first What does my client need? How can I be useful? And then you start thinking about risks and mitigants. And so long as the structure is sound, then forget about all the other stuff, quote unquote, stuff that you typically want in a credit box just to appease who knows. I think that's been the first, just focusing really on the clients, the client's needs, and not not just saying that, but actually doing that. And I think a lot of bankers say that they focus on the client's needs, but then the client is kind of scared to, to tell them when they're going to trip a covenant. Those types of things, like they're just nervous. To me, the way we lead in new media is how do we truly have a partnership? Not only are you going to tell me when you trip the covenant, I'm going to tell you, hey, by the way, if you don't do X, Y, and Z in three months from now, shit's going to go sideways. I think that's been like the first thing. Again, what are their needs? Okay, their needs today are are just banking relationships. They need money today. But Mm -hmm. do they need an acquisition in the future? Do they need an iBanker? Do they need a lawyer? Do they need an accountant? Do they need a babysitter on the weekend? Do they need a recommendation where to eat dinner tonight with their wife? Are they having a baby? Did something crazy just happen in their family? Do they need a COVID test? How How do you not have superficial relationships? My portfolio isn't filled with 45 names, you know, low level. I'd rather have a smaller portfolio, go really deep and ensure that they're really sticky. And what ends up happening is, you know, I have a client that um, we did really good work for and that CFO ended up uh, getting let go. Mm. And he now just moved over to a different bank and like day two on the job calls me and he's like, hey, we're with... X, Y, and Z bank, but I don't care about them. I'm coming to you. So can you guys do this $15 million term loan on top of a $25 million ABL? 
sure, you know, <laughs> yes, <course>. <laughs> no problem, right? And like, but that only happens when you go deep. If you make them think about you when new things happen, they're more inclined to stay to stick with you, whether or not that's this one job right here or throughout their life, etc. Um, and that becomes meaningful. And then the second is focusing simply on what you're good at as opposed to a spray and pray mentality. I have a very specific subset of skills and expertise in one kind of industry. I think where people get tripped up is, okay, well, how do I do tech or how do I do media? And that's like a very small, small word with a very large meaning, right? Mm -hmm. And so being really specific, not trying to be all things to all people and knowing when you could say yes, no one can say no, and not wasting time has helped us be really, really efficient. You know, I think FaceTime is very important in general, just to build those connections, build those relationships. And so working on different ways to reinvigorate my team. And I'm, I'm also trying to have it not be revolved around food and drink all the time. So I'm thinking about doing a monthly hike with my team. It's like a team building exercise. I like that. Yeah, switch it up, you know, instead Mm -hmm. of our standing team meeting every half an hour on whatever, Monday, Wednesdays, Fridays, then how about we all meet at the Hollywood sign and hike Griffith for a half an hour. Um, Yeah. So that's just, yeah, another way to... Good way to bond, too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. correct, exactly. Mm -hmm. Get your steps in. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 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 Win-win. And I'm sure everyone here, everyone who's listening, has had their fair share of managers who pretend they know what they're doing, but don't. That's infuriating as an employee. You're making everything go slower. I don't respect you because you're just getting in my way. And I also can't shine, right? I sort of take an opposite approach. I will call a spade a spade. I will say, hey, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. Here's my two cents. I'm empowering you to be to be the leader in this, and whatever it is that we're dealing with. You know, if some people find that to be... They belittle that action. And I actually think that it's what's enabled me to grow a team. And and anyone I think who's worked for me will say that they loved working for me, right? And it's not because I'm not a micromanager and I'm not getting in the weeds and stuff like that. It's, in my opinion, it's because I kind of respect what you're trying to do. I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I'm trying to encourage you to be better at what you're doing. But I'm not going to take over your work because that that's your baby. And I'm not, I'm just here to support you and make sure that you're successful in what you're doing. So in terms of new media, are there any challenges for new media when it comes to the epidemic? One issue that has always kind of existed and has maybe gone a little bit worse during COVID is payment terms have always been very stretched in media and advertising. If you're talking about working capital and how to run your business, that can really create issues if you're waiting three, four months five months even, to get paid on something you've already delivered and completed, that can create some issues and and some working capital gaps. And so that's something that I see some of my clients struggling with. Three or four weeks into this role, we had a client in our portfolio that I knew very well. Their AR was not eligible to borrow against because one of their payors was taking 140 days to pay. And we had only allowed up to 120 days. Millions of dollars were completely ineligible. And, you know, I took a look at it and I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't even make sense. This company that they're talking about, I know that company. Their average paying time is 155 days. We need to give them credit for all this stuff. It's it's good collateral. And, you know, they're like, hey, new person who's never been in banking before. Uh, we're not going to do that. That sounds crazy. And I was like, I know it sounds Looney Tunes, but if you check the dilution on that account, 
I promise you it's going to be close to zero. And it was. And we made the change. We're so lucky to have been able to service them in the way that they need to be serviced. Because what's the point of having a baking partner if they're not meeting your needs? You know, that, that client's grown dramatically since we've been since I started. And I'm like really excited for them. And that is why your team is surpassing my <laughs> slide in terms of your goals. managing director. And now you are managing director. Yes, that all makes sense to me. <laughs> so do you see it in terms of new media? Are there any exciting trends? What are you most excited about when it comes to new media? I'm actually pretty excited about the consolidation that's happening. So it's a very fragmented space. If you think about a very simple interaction of you go on a website, you hit the refresh button, you get it served a million ads. There are so many things that need to happen on the back end for that to happen, right? You have the publisher who's selling that ad. Maybe they sold it directly to Pepsi or maybe they sold it to an ad network who's going to sell on behalf of Pepsi. Well, then you have all these data companies that are also trying to capture the data behind that. Who are you? Where are you refreshing your button from? How long are you looking at that ad? Did you play the video? Did you not play the video? Did you buy something off that website? Did you not buy something off that website? There's there's so many different ways to slice that data. It's actually insane. Um, and what's been happening over the past 12 to 24 months is there's been a lot of consolidation happening, a lot of partnerships, a lot of the strategic initiatives, et cetera, that have really put to light who are the key players in the space. And it's been really, really cool to watch them all grow. It's been a very frothy market. On on my side, I can't speak to other industries, but people are raising cash like there's no tomorrow. Um, and people are gladly giving it because you're coming into this sort of new age of who are going to be the next Google's, Facebook's, you know, Amazon's of the world. And you have some really interesting players who are trying to accomplish really big things and doing it successfully. So what would that consolidation mean for the average listener who maybe doesn't fully understand what's going on? Like, what does that indicate for this new media space? Um, I think it just means there's a little bit of a Darwin Darwinism happening. Right? It's, it's almost like survival of the fittest. I think a lot of people are getting... Um, replaced by bots. A lot of people are also getting replaced by talent overseas. I think that's one thing that I've seen. A lot of a lot more people are getting hired in Mexico and Singapore account for how do we grow like more profitable companies. I think there's a bigger mm-hmm. focus on not just super high revenue growth, but like what does that mean for the bottom line? You're talking about an industry that never cared about EBITDA. And now all of a sudden everyone starts caring about it. And everyone's wanting to go public and take it to the IPO markets and if you're going to become a public company, that's a different, it's just a different animal in totality. And so I think for the average listener, it just means that there are a lot of people trying to do interesting things. Mm-hmm. And and you'll see very quickly, Then I would say in the next 12 months, who are going to rise to the top and who are the ones that are going to get gobbled up. Words from a wise leader, everyone, which is why... Chief, the organization whose mission is to fight for female representation in leadership roles, recruited you to be their founding member of the LA chapter. So can you give us a glimpse of what happens behind the scenes? What is it like being part of such a powerful group of women? So I've been with Chief since June of 2020. Um, and the way it works typically is you're in a cohort. So I had a group of me and nine other females led by a moderator. And on a monthly basis, we met over Zoom typically. 
It was like part guided meditation, part um, journaling. So they give you prompts all the time to talk about, well, what's my superpower? And how am I going to expose that more, both in my personal life and my professional life? Or identify your lowest point of life in the past five years and your highest point in life the past five years and how can you create more high points and less low points and what did you learn from those low points it's it's sort of a um i want to say like a guided reflection like almost part therapy session but but always with like a career twist how can you take that and leverage that into your work life then there are things like how do you get onto onto boards? How do you mm. negotiate your salary? How do you move up? How do you fight for whatever it is you're looking to fight for, you know, at the given moment? It's been really interesting to to see so many peers kind of going through the same thing I'm going through. We all have issues with managerial skills and we all have personal mm-hmm. issues that we're dealing with and, and striving for. And then there's an element of well, there's so many political issues in the world and how does that relate into your work life, into your personal life and how do you kind of all tie that up together? And so it's just a really, really interesting forum for Mm -hmm. female executives to be chatting in. So you mentioned that in the chief meetings, you would discuss about the highs and the lows and what you've learned from them. So I'm interested to know if you can share with us the low part of your life and what you've learned from that. Seven years ago yesterday, <laughs> um, my husband and I were, were pregnant. Well, I was pregnant. My husband was an innocent bystander. Uh, <laughs> and I went into labor. I had what they call a precipitous labor, which basically means your labor is on steroids. And so what would normally take 20 hours took about an hour. There there weren't enough Drake rap songs and like <laughs> little John songs I could listen to to make that pain go away. It was it was excruciating and unbeknownst to me, I you know, I was going through like a traumatic event. I was just sort of the last person to know. So my husband and I ran to Cedars, my water broke. They were able to get me up to the room. They were not able to get any heart rate monitors on me. It was sort of like the baby was coming out as I got to the hospital. So I never got an epidural, which was bonkers. Oh, my gosh. And I gave birth to a baby who wasn't born, who wasn't alive. Who wasn't alive, yeah, Jude. And that was a horrific, horrific experience. I don't think anyone should have to suffer that type of loss ever in life it's just it's not it's not a normal thing for a parent to bury their child it's just not normal I've I've never I've just never experienced that kind of pain before and so after the first couple of weeks uh wore off and that sort of shock wore off I was left feeling the same feeling of but hold on a second I'm I'm a mom I just I don't have a child and I was really trying to figure out you know what do I do with this information what do I do with this experience? How do I honor who he was? I'm no longer the person I was before. I'm a whole different person. And so one thing I noticed was we were really fortunate and we had a very large community and we both come from very big families. So we had a lot of support around us, but I just kept thinking, what about the people who don't? What are the people who don't have that type of help? And everyone was coming out and like trying to like share their stories, but I was more consumed with like the logistical help. We had a dog and I could not bother walking him. I love coffee and I could not bring myself to like walk into Starbucks. 
I didn't want anyone who saw me pregnant in my life, period. End of story. Didn't want it. About six months after Drew died, Dave and I started our own 501c3. It's called forevermyangel.org. And the entire mission of what we do is just to create logistical support for those who go through stillbirths or neonatal deaths. It's like stupid things that you don't even think you need to take care of. Who's going to take down your Amazon registry? Who's going to circumvent the billing process? You don't get a bill from the hospital for that baby that you didn't get to take home. Who's going to take away the car seat that you installed in the car? It's all these small things that no one thinks about that are such triggering events. Unfortunately, needing to help a lot of people, it's it's actually a much more common experience than I thought it was. Although when it happened to me, it was the first time I've ever heard of it. It's been, I guess, comforting for me to know that even though Jude's not alive, he like still taught me how to be a more empathetic person. That's taught me beautiful. to be better, made me better. This organization and the work we do for it is directly correlated to him. So that feels great. And Ava's middle name is Ava Jude. So she brought us home full circle. Oh. Yeah. How do you take adversity and, and try to, I don't even want to say it's do good, but do something productive with it. But I think that's sort of the mantra I try to live with. It's not, how do you run away from it? How do you pretend it doesn't exist? How do you put it underneath the carpet and walk away? It's more, how do you face it head on and say like, no, I'm not scared of you. And no, you're not going to take me down. Um, and I think that's how I just live my life. Well, thank you so much for sharing that really personal story. I really appreciate it. And congratulations on trying to find the good out of it. Yeah. I think that's where your confidence and your strength comes from. If you're able to go back to your 20, 20 years, year old self, um, what advice would you give yourself? I would tell myself, don't freak out about getting fired on your second day of work. Ah. Because that happened at age 20. <laughs> oh, please do tell uh, what, what happened at age uh, 20. So I, I started my career in Capitol Hill. After my stint there, I came back to the city. I got an apartment, and I did not i did not know what I wanted to do with my life. I was kind of having a midlife crisis at age 20. <laughs> and uh, I found a job effectively babysitting. I was a glorified nanny for a very wealthy Upper East Side family. And it sounds crazy, but they were paying $1,000 a week. And oh, my gosh. At age 20, wow. like, who says no to that? This is going to be awesome. I'm just going to read books for a year. I'm going to babysit some kids and see what happens. It was like a one-month interview process. I had She had to like watch me take them to the Natural uh, History Museum. She had to watch me take them to Color Me Mine. Like, there were all these things I needed to showcase that I could do. And on day two, she just fired me. And I was like, wait, what? Why? Do I still get paid for the full day? I know. What? <laughs> I, I, was, I was shocked. I'm like, what did I do? And she just said something like, I just don't think you're right for, for my family. This is after two months, legitimately two months of just interviewing me. One month hardcore and one month tangentially. But anyways, that's kind of how I got into the industry. I came home. I started crying, obviously. <laughs> like, who's paying my rent this month? And I went onto Facebook and very randomly got a Facebook message chat from someone I had maybe met three times that was working in digital media and was like, hey, uh, I heard that you have this amazing job out in the city babysitting some kids, but company's hiring. And it's this thing called publisher sales, which basically effectively means like convince people to come onto your website so you can sell their ads. 
I think you'd be really good at it. You don't really need to know anything, but you just need to be extroverted. <laughs> and I feel like that's you. So if you ever decide to not babysit anymore, like kind of laughing and want a real job, let me know. Can I come interview tomorrow? <laughs> I ended up getting that job, getting laid off like six months later because that jo- that company went belly up. And kind of leveraged that into like my career. And that's sort of how I got into this industry, which is hilarious. But yeah, I guess, look, the, the one thing I would tell my 20-year-old self is don't be afraid. Honestly, the only way we get stronger is by failing. If you think about working out, you fatigue your muscles and that's the only way they grow. It's now something to be scared of. If I can like play back the amount of times I was too scared to say anything, too scared to ask for anything, too scared to do anything. In hindsight, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, but in hindsight, I was like, oh God, that would have been so easy to do if I just would have done that, you know? And that could have been like sleeping in a hostel in Venice for an extra week. I did not need to come back home. I just didn't. Um, or like ask for that $5,000 raise because everyone thinks of it as like, oh, it's only a $5,000 raise. This, what does it mean? $5,000 a year over four years is $20,000. It's not just $5,000. It's it's setting sort of like that cadence, that standard. And just to be unapologetic about it. And I love how you wrapped it up from the beginning of the interview about being unapologetic, about having courage to stand up for what you believe in and everything and ending this story with the same thing. Don't even remember saying that. (laughs) Yes. I love that. Thank you so much, Maytel. This was such a great conversation. I loved every story that you spoke of. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. This was so much fun. And thank you for coming. all of your other ones are going to be downhill from here. (laughs) (laughs) Set the bar high. You set the bar way too high. (laughs) Managing director. Thank you so much for tuning in and a huge shout out to our fabulous guest, Maytel Schoenberg. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you will be notified when we upload a new episode. There is also a video version you can check out on our East West Bank YouTube channel. If you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at reachfurther at eastwestbank.com. Thanks again for tuning into the Reach Further podcast brought to you by East West Bank, your financial bridge. Until next time.